reading from Matthew 6, 9 to 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Am I on? No. It's got the not. Oh, I am on. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Alex, for that lovely um, introduction. We have done a lot of things and drunk a lot of coffee together and had some atrocious haircuts over the years as well. Um, But that's fine. That's all part of it. I kind of feel like I'm standing here on the first day of school today. It's like, first day of school. It's like I have this great excitement and this joy to just be up here unpacking something that, to me, is just one of the most integral parts of my life, one of the most powerful parts of my faith journey, has been leaning into prayer, and in particular, leaning into the Lord's Prayer. Alex, last week, um, started us off on this series, which we've called Teach Us Prayer, Teach Us to Pray. He did a phenomenal job last week at really just laying a foundation from which we're going to build on for the, for the coming weeks. And... There's this sense in which that prayer encapsulated the life of Jesus. For Jesus, communion with the Father was reflected in the way that he spoke. It was how he engaged with God was through prayer. And then I was reflecting back into the early stages of my faith journey, and I got saved when I was about 17, and all of a sudden it was like, oh, well, let's start praying now. Just go pray. I remember being like, this is really strange, but Okay. And I prayed a few weird things, and I probably asked for something that I shouldn't have, and anyway, but, but this sense in which that Jesus teaches us to pray is actually really, really important. Because what happens along our journey, and what happened to me, is that we come and we know Jesus, and we, we press in, and then over time, what happens in our heart is that spiritual blockages come up. So I got really good at reciting the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And it became a religious jargon that I would recite and I would rehearse and I would say. But deeper than that, the heart of Jesus is that you and I would be welcomed into a relationship with him. That prayer would actually so encapsulate our hearts and our lives and that the joy of God would be evidenced with us and through us each time we prayed. So it's my great delight to to kind of unpack this first verse in Matthew 6, 9. And before I start to open this up, I want to ask you, something this afternoon, what would it look like if you and I were to grab a hold right now of prayer? What would it look like if God would consecrate a new space in our lives, if we would draw a line in the sand and we'd put aside everything that's laid behind us and we'd actually press on forward and we would fall in love again with God through prayer? What would that mean for us? I think it would mean something very, very, very dynamic. So in my efforts in the past, I tried to pray a certain way, do a certain thing. And then I remember one day coming across Matthew 6 and going, wow, Jesus teaches the disciples to pray. And I thought, that's kind of offensive for us who've been journeying with Jesus for a while. What do you mean the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray? And right in this moment, you might be thinking, well, like, why did they ask him that? And what was Jesus' response at that moment? Was his response, guys, I have journeyed with you for so long. We have shared so much wine together. Just said that. We've had so much coffee together. We've had so many meetings. You've literally watched me. Why, silly disciples, are you asking me to teach you how to pray? 
Jesus doesn't meet us like that. And that's good news of those of us who've been journeying with God for five seconds or five decades, is that we can always go deeper into prayer. And so tonight the invitation is this. Jesus responded to them and he said, this is then how you should pray. And I want that to be a heart posture tonight. Jesus invites us into that. This is how we are to pray. So tonight I want to invite us and consecrate a space and make room for God to minister to us tonight because we're going to be going through some really deep things tonight. I'll just, I'll just give you that on the outset. We are. The scripture that I'm going through tonight is Matthew 6, 9, where it says, Our Father who is in heaven. We're going to be diving deep into what our experience of a father has been like. And I wonder if you just pause for a moment and you ponder that. What has your experience of father been like in your life? And by, by, very, by means and a way of kind of consecrating this space, I want to read out a, a quote by one of my favorite, 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 favorite people, Brennan Manning. I love this guy so much. He says this. He says, To ignore, repress, or dismiss our feelings is to resist the stirring of the spirit in our emotional life. Christian, we have an emotional life. Jesus listened, and he let that listening lead to transformation. So for us tonight, what would it mean for us to take a moment out of religious work and a moment out of a service that keeps going on and going on if we just anchored ourselves for a moment? What would this mean? What would it mean for us to listen and let that listening lead us to transformation tonight? Is anyone up for that? That's good. All right, that's great. That's that's half of it. That's half of the battle, right? It's like a willingness. It's good. And so as I was reflecting, I thought, you know, how how often is our experience of prayer, this sense that we need to strive and this sense that we need to pray the right things and that we need to look a certain way? Maybe that's your experience. Maybe Jesus, in writing this, was actually aware that sometimes as followers of Jesus, we find it easy to believe that God exists rather than God loves us. We get so good at doing the stuff, which is good, but it's not the main thing. God desires our heart before he desires our actions. He desires our affections before he desires anything that you and I can do. And that's really going to set our our space and our time together tonight. And maybe tonight, if you're like me, that can sometimes be you as well. Because I know that's true of my life. When I journey through the motions and I go in and out of life and I have good seasons, bad seasons, the temptation for me is just need to turn on my religiosity. But God's not about religion. That's not the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus finds us how we are and he loves us and he affirms us. And it's from this space that Jesus is going to teach us how to pray. So tonight I want to focus on two amazing truths. This is, going to, this is our thesis for tonight. The first is this, and you're going to be like, amazing points, not, but they're good. Firstly, we have a father. Amen. That means something. Again, our temptation is to go, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. We have a Father who loves us. You've got to get used to my preaching. I, I, I get excited when I'm up here. We have a Father who loves us. And that's like really good news for those of us who didn't have a great experience of an earthly father. Secondly, we have a Father not only, but He's in heaven. And that, me, that, that places it more at a, a depth. There's a depth to that. We're found to find loved, but he's in heaven. And secondly, or thirdly, from that place, 
once we understand that, we cannot help but pray, Lord, hallowed be your name. Make yourself famous among the generations. This is just incredible, incredible news. My main point tonight is for this. If you and I do not understand the fact that we have a God who loves us, if we don't pause and be present and realize that we are infinitely known. And this sounds weird, but I'll unpack it. If this is your first night at church and there's just a guy really loud here, we're going to go deeper. I'll unpack that. But that's the point, is that if you and I do not understand the reality of who God the Father is and what, we have, what he has done in sending his son Jesus for us, we will go through the motions inside church, outside church, and we will spend a life working hard to receive the affirmation and the affection that you and I have already received. That's the thesis point of my sermon tonight. So with that, could I invite you to open up your Bibles or look on the screen to Matthew 6, 9. It says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, this then is how you should pray. Again, notice, Jesus is extending something. If the disciples had walked with Jesus all that time and he still needed them to teach them how to pray, how much more do you and I need to learn how to pray? He says this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So what do we learn? We learn from the outset this first thing, like I said earlier, we have a Father. This was the term that Jesus used to endear his Lord, his God, it was Father. That's important because the first name that Jesus speaks to the disciples about in prayer is something that we should really listen to. Father. Father. It's relational. It's safe. It's loving. It's strong. He says, Father. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. What emotion comes up in your heart tonight when we say the word Father? And I want to be really sensitive about this tonight because I know what it evokes in my own heart. We all have a journey here, we all have a history, we all had a childhood. What does the word Father bring up in your heart tonight? Our Father. Often in life, how we relate to God as Father is really, really, really established in our early years. Psychology says this. Other theories say this. The Bible seems to think this. Our Father. As I was preparing the sermon, I I, I thought for a moment, what was my first kind of image that I still remember of my Father? And my Father and I have a really good relationship now, but it wasn't that way. And it's only kind of recently that it's really changed in that way. And I had this picture come in my mind. I was about six years old. I grew up in a suburb called Kalanga. Hey, if any of you know that, just, it's probably a blessing you don't. No, it's, they breed them tough out at Kalanga. But I grew up in Kalanga. All right, this suburb, about 35, 40 minutes on the north side of Brisbane from here. And my dad, um, he was a barber, but he also enjoyed doing stuff with cars. Um, and I remember, distinctly remember this. There was a moment where I was with my mum and with my sister, and I can picture it now. I saw dad out in the shed further down to the back of our yard, and he was working on a car. And I went out to him, and I, I thought, I'm going to go out to my dad. I'm going to work on a car with him. So I grabbed my little, like, fake little screwdriver, that, like, cl- those type of things that clutter my house with two kids. And I grabbed my little fake screwdriver, and I, I hobbled down, and I went to dad, and I said, Dad, I think I probably said, Daddy, Daddy, I'm, I'm here to help. And then I still remember it now. The dad looked me in the eye and he said, how are you going to help me? 
What do you mean you're here to help me? You can't help me. Go back inside, go back to mum, and I'll come in when I'm ready. And even at this moment, I'm 30 next year, even at this moment, that still gets to me because that wounded me. That did something to my heart. So much that 24 years later, I still remember that. And so the point being here is that how do we relate to God? It's often how our earthly experience of either father figures or authority figures has been. It's kind of those two kind of things is what happens. I want to quickly read out just now five types of fathers. There's a guy by the name of Mike Bickle from the States, and I think he helpfully articulates five types of fathers. John Tyson also does this, so I've kind of just merged both of them together. It's like a Christian hybrid of illustration. Let's go. Five types of fathers. The first one is this, the distant or the passive father. And I want you to think, I want to welcome you into that space to think, what was your earthly father like? First one, the distant or the passive father. The emotionally distant or passive father expresses his affections in a minimal way. He assumes you know that he loves you, but he never verbalizes that to you. So he's distant, he's passive. This is a father that works really hard, brings the money in, does all the stuff, but at the end of the day, all you want is his connection and affirmation, and you don't get that. So he's distant. If you have this type of father growing up, you may reap strong emotional consequences at times because you may be just longing to have someone intimately engage with you. The second father is the authoritarian father. Now, I feel like for many of us, this is what we face in the church, the authoritarian father. That's, this is this. The authoritarian father intervenes to stop what you were doing. They're really happy to let you go and let you do stuff and give you a sense of agency, but at, the, at one time, if you go one little iota wrong... Boom. Don't do this, don't do that, do this, do that. That's the authoritarian father. The authoritarian father, he wants no partnership and no deep intimacy with you. Just wants to tell you, I'm the father, you're the kid, shut up. The third father is this, the abusive father. The abusive father, clearly by virtue of title, is the father that does things that really hurt us. And I just want to say now, I just feel inclined to say, I'm, if that's you, I'm so sorry. No one ever deserves anything from their father to be like that. The fourth father is this, the absent father. This is a father who is totally absent in your life. They may be absent because they weren't alive around the time of your birth, or they were there early and they, they disappeared. That's the absent father. And if you have an absent father in your life, when it comes to experiencing the presence of God, you might struggle because you believe, well, they were never here in my life. Why would my earthly father be there around me? That's a real, that's a real struggle as well. And lastly, the last type of father is this, the accusing father. I think the fifth father is the most common example. The accusing father proclaims to love you with his whole heart, but he judges you continuously at every failure that you make. That's the accusing father. And I want to just pause again for a moment and just see, like, what are we feeling as we, we talk about these experiences? A guy by the name of um, Bessel van der Kolk, he wrote a, a, an amazing book called The Body Keeps the Score. I, I love it. It's phenomenal. And the, the whole premise of this is that what traumas you and I experience, sometimes our body holds. 
And the point that I want to lead to with this is not to get all weird, but also to say sometimes when we relate to our Heavenly Father, we need to be aware of what our body's doing. We need to incorporate and have more of a holistic view of our spiritual health, physical health, mental health, because it's all intertwined, because God created all. So let's honor that tonight. So many of us simply have no idea to have a Father in heaven. We know how to pray our Father who is in heaven, but we feel so distant from God. We know how to pray, but we don't know how to feel. We know God is sovereign, we know he's righteous, and we know he's powerful. Some of us even go to Bible college and learn about these things. We have a really good theology of the attributes of God, but we miss one, and that's that he's our Father, that he's loving. And that's not to have condemnation. I experience this daily. It's my biggest fight in my Christian faith, is to retreat back to not feeling loved by God. Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father. And if tonight this is you and you're, you've experienced issues with your Father and that's affecting how you relate to, to God, can I just say that like here at New Life, you're in really good company. Like our whole, literal, our whole vision is to see more people become more like Jesus. None of us have arrived. We're all on a journey. All on a journey of life. And if you meet someone who says that they've made it, you can email Pastor Alex. He'd love to, he'd love to deal with that. So tonight, as we continue, so Jesus says to pray our Father. The initial reference point of Jesus here is our Father. That word is Abba. That word is Daddy. That word is God. That word is all these words that make us feel uncomfortable if we haven't had it before. Our Father, Daddy, God. Abba was a term used in Judaism to express the intimacy, security, and close relationship that a child would experience with their parent. Interestingly enough, every time Jesus prays, sorry, most times that Jesus prays, he says, our Father. That's how he relates to God. On the very few times that Jesus doesn't relate to him as our Father, that's when Jesus is there weeping and mourning the fact that he's about to go to the cross. That's where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's at that moment that Jesus doesn't refer to the Father. What does that tell us? That ultimately he's connected to his Father. That when he's in a place of intimacy with God, God is not just God, he's Father. It's like a really big point. That's how Jesus prays to him. And whatever you may suspect about the heart of God towards you because of bad experiences, because of issues that you've had in your life, the God of heaven is an affectionate Father. And he wants to really meet you today. He really wants to set that record again. He really wants to freshly speak affirmation over you. I want to take you now to just a couple of scriptures to kind of work on this point. The first one is this. Matthew 3, 16 to 17. It says this. Um, So this is Jesus' baptism. It says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and a lightning on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, of whom I'm well pleased. Before Jesus did anything, before he got a Bible college degree, before he had the perfect marriage, before he served his Lord through his entirety of his life, God said, You are my beloved Son, of you I am well pleased. That's an important point. Why is that an important point? Because you and I have nothing to prove in front of God. We have nothing to prove but much to do. 
We sometimes think we have much to do and nothing to prove. No, no. We have nothing to prove in front of God. Jesus was defined, secured, wrapped up before he went out and started his earthly ministry in that bigger way. That's a very important key tonight. He was affirmed. He was safe. He was loved. Notice this language of affirmation that Jesus had nothing to prove. He was affirmed before any action. Do you know that about you tonight? It doesn't matter the week that you've had. Do you know that you're affirmed by God? Do you know that you're his beloved? Do you know that when Zephaniah 3 says that like God literally just sings over you and he exalts over you? And do you know that he also knows your sin? And that doesn't stop him from rejoicing over you or loving you or getting excited by you. You're his beloved. It's like my son Jonah. It's like, man, Jonah annoys me sometimes. I'm not saying you annoy God, but... Got to get the rust out of the tank with the illustrations. But that's the point though, right? Is that like, there is nothing I would not do for my son Jonah. He can run away. That's the story of the prodigal son. It's the youngest son who's been the little snotty-nosed one that comes back and gets the robe placed on him. Oh, this is awesome. This is great news. Second scripture I want to go to, Matthew 4, verses 1 to 4. What happens? Jesus gets baptized. Second thing happens. He then gets tested and sent out into the wilderness. It says this, Matthew 4, verses 1 to 4. Then Jesus came, no, not that. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Who by? The devil. The chief of lies, the deceiver, the one that wants to say that you should hide yourself back from God. It happened in the garden in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve, they shrunk back rather than leaning in. And God's literally going there like, where are you? Come out to me. And they're like, we've sinned. And he's like, I know, but I love you. Anyway, sidetrack. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Right? Who knows that like you'd be hungry after that? It's like, man... I, couldn't fast. I can't fast for two days. I've tried. It's like, maybe my old days. But the tempter came to him and said, this is important. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Here's a temptation. If you're the son of God, activate something there and tell these stones to become bread. How does Jesus answer and respond back to him though? It says this. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. But on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What's that saying? It's saying this. It matters more about what God says to me, what God says for me, what God speaks over me. It matters far more than anything you can give me, Satan. For you and I, that means it matters more what God says over you than what your boss says over you. It matters more of what God says over you than what your spouse says over you at times. Sorry, Case. Just realized Case is in the room. I'm joking. Do it. That's important. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Jesus was sustained and defined by the word of affirmation spoken over him. That's what got Jesus through the struggle of the desert. And man, we could spend 40,000 weeks preaching on the desert, but that's what got Jesus through, was the fact that he was defined and loved and cared for and restored and enjoyed and delighted in. Paul knew this in Romans 8.15 where he says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves. We're not slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption. 
your welcoming into the family of God was through an act of grace that Jesus did on your behalf when he went to the cross. And now, by him, by God, we now cry, Abba, Father, Dad. Paul literally writes to the church at Rome reminding them, don't, don't neglect this stuff, guys. It matters more about who you are in the sight of God than what you can ever do. So can you see how for Jesus this thematically plays itself out? It was very important that he knew God. And we might think at this stage, well, of course the Father would love Jesus because he's Jesus. Of course, he's Jesus. It's like, you know, you learn in Sunday school, not that I ever went, but I'm assuming, I know from my kids, you learn in Sunday school that Jesus is the answer. But when it comes to our identity, Jesus is also the answer because we're found in him. So whatever's true of God's relationship to Jesus, if you're found in Jesus, is now true of you. It's now written over your head. You've got an A plus over the top of your head that you can't shake in your worst day. That gets back to why, God said, that why Jesus says this then, start praying this way, our Father. Because everything in the Christian life is meant to start from a revelation that we have a dad who loves us and cares for us. Oh, and you just feel, can you feel the stuff just lifting off of you as you hear that? For some of us, it might have been a while since we've drunk of this. Since we've just realized, I don't have to perform. I don't have to be an amazing Christian. I don't have to dress a certain way, act a certain way, talk a certain way. I'm defined by God. Abba loves me. We are the beloved. And in you and in I, he is well pleased. Very good news. Man. All right, Brennan Manning goes on just to turn the heat up again. He says this. He says, the gospel portrait of the beloved child of Abba is that of a man or woman exquisitely attuned to their emotions and uninhabited in expressing them. What Brendan's talking about here is is building deeper and saying that like, we, we can respond. Permission to respond to Abba's love tonight or this afternoon. Permission to respond. He's proud of you. Now, what does that mean for you now? What would it mean for you to walk out of this place tonight, having journeyed with the Lord for years, or maybe, maybe you're on the journey of faith and understanding what this whole thing is, what would that mean for you? To leave this place and to realize that you're actually the head, not the tail anymore, that you're actually defined in God, and that he loves you? I'm going to keep saying that word again and again, love, love, love. He loves you. So how we conceptualize our Father is important. And God has a lot of time for you. That's why he says, Jesus says to pray. Our Father in heaven. The second point is this. So we have a Father. That's the first point. The second point is this. He is in heaven. Now this matters too. Because this image and description of God is not highlighting that he's far away. Heaven is not saying God is up there. Heaven is highlighting the everywhereness of God. That he is everywhere that you and I go. That he's our dad, that we can come back and retreat and sit on his lap. But he's also everywhere and he's also powerful and he's also ruling and he's also on a throne. So God is not just able, he's not just loving, but he's able. And and sometimes I think there's, there's two theological pendulums. It's like daddy God or like God who just wants me to serve at church heaps and do all the stuff. It's like, no, no, the two come together. God loves me. I'm his beloved child. And he's also holy and in heaven. You combine the two of those things, you're going to have a great life with God. We want to beat, we want to merge those two truths together. So he's our loving father to whose, to whom, to whose ear we always have access to. 
but our dad is also in control. All right, like we're not rocking up to problems with a chihuahua, and that's our God. So we're rocking up to problems with that biggest, ugliest dog that you changed your walking path from, and that's God. Not that he's ugly, he's a good looking dude. It's the rust. Need some WD 40. They'd even come back now. So rather we're led, right, so the point being, <laughs> the dad's in control, that he's sitting on a throne, that he loves you, that he's also holy. That's good news for you tonight. So the one whom we call father is at the same time supremely great. We're reminded that he's also in heaven, that that's his position, that he's the only person who can walk those two things of being so loving towards you, but also being God. That's why he's unique. So we address God intimately as Father, but we immediately recognize his infinite greatness. So it doesn't cause us to, 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 take, to take the mickey, like my daughter Elsie, she, I say, Elsie, I love you, and she goes, go away, Daddy. Like, oh, okay. It's like, jeez. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, just, I'm just connecting. I'm just connecting how I never got connected with. I, I, bye, Daddy. Okay. It's like, okay. But then there's the other extreme which is my kids in child protection. So I'm a social worker, child protection, and I meet a lot of kids who don't have good parents and they've been removed and they're in out-of-home care because of that. And they will, I will have one meeting with them and they'll just be like, can, can, can I go home with you? Can, can you love me? Can you just be with me? Can, look at this, look at that. And I'm like, settle, it's fine. The reality is, is that both of those are extremes that are unhealthy. The coming together is when... I'll give an example, is when I talk with my son Jonah, and I say, Jonah's a bit older, so I can kind of formulate things better, and I say, Jonah, you know Daddy loves you, and he says, Daddy, I know you love me, and I love you too. That's the coming together of these first two points. I love you, I know you love me, and I love you too. Very important. So God's our Father to whom we cry, Abba, Dad, and he's also seated on the throne. Third point is this. Because of these two things, we can now pray, hallowed be your name. Both these things have come together. We now pray, hallowed is your name, God. It's so important that we conceptualize our earthly father in healthy terms so that we hallow him properly, so that we revere him properly. Because if we don't have a revelation of who God is as Abba, as Father, we're just going to be working our backsides off to get his attention, his affection, or we're just going to be taking this whole thing for a ride. Again, you've got to see right now, it's the convergence of the two things coming together. When that happens, we can then pray, Lord, hallowed be your name. And in this part of the verse, I find we, we, we tend to major on what the text actually isn't majoring on. The start, we start with Father, and we're like, oh, this is warm. And then uh, in heaven, you're like, he's powerful. And then we're like, oh, hallowed be your name. No, no. The third part is, Lord, because you're so loving, because you're so holy, because you're so good, make yourself known amongst the generations. That's, that's the point. So, but rather, we are led to remember that throughout the generations, God has been put on display to his people, despite their sin, despite their flaws. And from this place, we continue to have it on our prayer, Lord, hallowed be your name. Make yourself famous amongst the generations. We hallow you, Lord. So it's not so much a prayer or petition that God will do some great act 
as it is like, Lord, make yourself famous. If you go back to the Old Testament, what do we read? This is the God of Abraham. That signifies a time. The God of, the God of Isaac. What if God in our city was known as the God of new life and we served him and he was made famous through us? Like, can you imagine Brisbane City getting a hold of our God that we serve? And this week I was reflecting on, you know, what, what personal benefit for us in our prayer life is there for praying this? What actual benefit is there, and I'm going to finish up soon, is by praying, Lord, hallowed be your name, what is that actually doing? Because by praying our Father, I'm getting, if I'm getting a revelation of his, his goodness and his love and his care, if I'm praying that he's in heaven, I'm realizing that he's holy. When I pray, hallowed be your name, what's happening? And I thought about this. You know what's happening? I'm remaining enchanted with the gospel. I'm remaining enchanted. Is this thing just falling off? No. There we go. I'm remaining enchanted with the mission of Jesus. <clears throat> I think about currently many of my brothers and sisters who have kind of become disenchanted, and that leads to disillusionment, which leads to deconstruction. I'm not, I've been there, I'm not casting judgment. But I realize as I pray, hallowed be your name, I'm letting myself be caught up again in his story. I'm praying that, Lord, you've done it before, would you do it again? So I'm resetting my faith every time I pray that. To become disenchanted is to lose the awe and wonder of the gospel, but to, come, be, to become re-enchanted is to again discover the God who is very alive, very active. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and now our God, who's doing a new work in our time. So precisely this is what can lead our hearts to pray, hallowed be your name. So hallowed be your name is a prayer, it's a yearning, it's a pleading for God's people to God, that's to God, that he would make his name great again, that he would cause his name to be hallowed. And now as the band comes up, you know the real question of all of this? The real question of my whole sermon tonight is this, is not how am I to find God? It's how am I to let myself be found by him? That's the point of the prayer. Not how do I pray in such a way that I can manipulate God to listen to me and to do all these things. It's no, how can we be found by God? How can I position myself under Abba to realize that he loves me, he cares for me, and he wants to know me? So tonight I want to simply end with this, and it's an invitation. It's an invitation for us tonight to draw a line in the sand. I don't care how much Christian experience you have. It's to draw a line in the sand right now and say, Lord, would you do something new in my heart and my life as we kick off this series, as Pastor Alex kicked off the series last week and as we continue through the Lord's Prayer. So I want to now, if I could be so bold as to just invite you to stand right now. see when we talk about Abba as we've said we're not talking about those bad experiences that we've had with God we're talking about a loving a loving father and I'm aware that in my own life as I've reflected what can hemorrhage my prayer life with God it's not an unmet need it's an unmet blessing what do I mean by that I mean that at times in my life when I struggle to relate to God it's because I don't feel blessed by him I don't feel at times that he's the father who's just affirming me. And so I wonder now, if with every eye closed, if, if, if I could invite you into a space, 
that if that's you tonight, and if you really feel like, you know, you know this Jesus story, and you know the gospel, and you know all this stuff, but you just want the, the, the feeling of affirmation from God, I want to encourage you now to just put one of, one of your hands on your heart. No one's looking at you. It's between you and God. And I want to invite you now into a sacred space where the very presence of God is moving in this room. And I want to just pray a blessing over you now that God would bless you, that you would know that your dad is proud of you. So God, tonight we have come here and we have heard from your word that how you teach us to pray is to start by saying, Our Father. And Lord, I ask for a revelation of the Father heart of God to come now. That Lord, you would establish yourself as a good and loving dad in our lives right at this moment. Lord, where there's been hurt and when there's been pain, I just speak the redemption of the Holy Spirit into hearts right now, Lord. Lord, for each person here, I bless their work. I bless where they find themselves. I bless their relationships, Lord. I bless their relationship with you. Lord, I bless the journey that you have each of us on. So come, Holy Spirit, we ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you to fall upon our very hearts now so that we might be birthed afresh here at New Life to pray, Dad, God, Abba. That you would start a work in our hearts, Lord, that you would continue for many years to come. I feel particularly inclined by the Spirit now to just say, for those of you who are parents or expecting parents, I pray a blessing over you that you would grab a hold of this and that you would see a generation reestablished in the knowledge of sonship and daughtership, knowing that we are his sons and his daughters, that you would actively be a part of God changing generations and that the same stuff that you and I went through would not be true of our kids. Amen. Well, we're going to continue to worship now, but we actually have... um, we have a few people who would love to just pray for you. Um, there's going to be people in a white lanyard that Alex has in his hand that I forgot to bring up. If you see someone with one of these lanyards, there's going to be a couple of us here and a couple of us at the back. And you really want to just continue pressing into God. Can I invite you? Come. It would be our great delight to pray for you and with you. God loves you so much. Amen. Amen.